promoter wants to talk to you. Real bad. Mary, why don't you talk to her? Uh, Phyllis won't come to the phone, Rhoda. Yeah, sure, what do you want me to tell her? Rhoda, I come from a small town in the Midwest. I can't say that. Hey everybody, big show today. We've got news, news, celebrity news, and just count news, of course. Last weekend's events, tonight's events, this week's events, football, music, television. It's everything you love rolled into one podcast, so let's just say, love is all around, no need to waste it. You can have a town, why don't you take it? The hell kind of lyrics are those? Well, let's start the show and talk about it all. Yes, uh, playing up front just hours ago while taping this podcast on a Wednesday, which comes out on Thursday, Mary Tyler Moore, the death of Mary Tyler Moore. Now, I don't like to um, talk about everybody that's died and do all tributes and stuff, but, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, how weird is it? We've played two of her clips the last two weeks by chance. You know, the one with Dick Van Dyke singing that um, ridiculous song that I used to sing as a child, uh, Mountain Greenery from the Dick Van Dyke show and talking about that. So this is kind of weird, but actually, quite frankly, I'm surprised she was still alive all this time. I mean, she's looked horrible for decades, and when I say horrible, I'm not saying it in a uh, sexist way. I'm saying it in a uh, way like she looks sick. She looks sickly, like it's like she was dying. You know, she's had diabetes for, uh, I think they said since she was 33, so she just didn't look well, but quite frankly, when you look at the uh, Mary Tyler Moore show, I mean... She was obviously ridiculously hot. Uh, you know, you can call it 60s hot in the Dick Van Dyke show. and You know, but very sexy. And then the first season of the Mary Tyler Moore show, you can see, you know, how sexy she is and why people find her attractive. And then really just, um, and she was 30 at that point. I believe her age mirrored herself on the show. And then by really, by season three or four, she just... Um, you know, let's say she was 33, 34. I mean, for my taste, trying not to be sexist, she just never looked very good again. Like, I never understood actually why guys were attracted to her. She just seemed too um, adult, I guess, so no fun for me. And, you know, you could see the kind of guys she would go out with, which were always, uh, you know, uh, Mary, I'll, I'll pick you up right after work. You know, they have a briefcase and they come in. Now, Mary, you know, it was always the uh, the Ted Bessel uh, was the guy, but uh, always very Tony Roberts-like characters. Like, now, look, Mary, I've had just about enough. Um, look, we can either keep doing this and, or be romantic. I'm making lines up as Tony Roberts, but you get the gist of, get the gist of what I'm trying to do. I mean, you can't really do Tony Roberts without you know, adding in the, the Woody Allen part. Um, I just read somewhere where Tony Roberts was writing a book. I guess maybe it was a book or he's doing something. And if it wasn't a book, I mean, obviously, I mean, if it's a book, obviously they're going to ask me to do the audio tape, I guess. I mean, 
Uh, when I first met Woody Allen, I said, uh, what kind of directing style is this? I'm a Shakespearean trained actor. I don't appreciate not being told what to do or where to stand. I mean, the man is clearly insane. Twins, Max. Can you imagine the multiple possibilities? 16-year-olds. It keeps out the alpha rays, Max. You don't get old. Listen, I've got a hit TV show. Is there booing on that machine? Come on, Max. I've got a hit TV show. Now, uh, give me a medium-sized chuckle right here. Uh, why uh, that rant uh, came from Mary Tyler Moore, I don't know. But anyway, she just got... She's, you know, I watch the Mary Tyler Moore show every week on Sundays on MeTV after football because it cheers me up after I've lost, even though this week I won and won big and feeling pretty good. But I still like to, you know, chill out after, you know, long day football. You know, I hate those nighttime games. Come home, watch Mary Tyler Moore, Cheers, Taxi. It's all on MeTV late at night. It's perfect. Although they changed the hours. Now it's on at 1 o'clock instead of midnight. So I watch it all the time, and I was always a huge fan growing up. I mean, who wouldn't be? Anybody that's in comedy that's my age was a fan of Mary Tyler Moore. I mean, there's no way you can't be a fan of Mary Tyler Moore. It was an unbelievable show, an unbelievable comedy show. Back then, when there was nothing, especially on a Saturday night, it's kind of funny that Saturday nights of television are just barren. I mean, they don't even bother putting new shows on Saturday nights. You know, they've said before, Fridays are usually death for television, but they don't even bother putting Saturdays. And that lineup, as we all know, anybody my age, um, you know, Saturday night, what was it? Uh, was it All in the Family? I guess it was All in the Family, 8, 8.30, All in the Family, some, you know, that they'd put just like uh, something in between Friends and Seinfeld, you know, uh, that, that, that that guy from, you know, it was called Doc, I think, that old Irish guy that was in Oh God as the judge. I mean, you've seen him a hundred times, can't think of his name. Um, you know, that guy had a show and uh, Ar- Arnie, I remember they put, you know, anything between... Uh, on the family and Mary Tyler Moore, and then Mary Tyler Moore is at nine. Bob Newhart was on at nine thirty, and that's the way. And then Carol Burnett at ten. And if you were a kid growing up, and there, believe me, there was nothing else on. Again, we talk about how exciting it was. Like a Lou Grant, who was a goddamn adult. You know, he was in his forties, and we thought he was funny. I don't. Sometimes I just don't understand why they got to make everything young. We all grew up watching older people, and and everything's arguably funnier back then. I mean, maybe some of it doesn't hold up because it, you know, it's just old. But you know, there was something that made you like, well, maybe growing up ain't that bad. You know, now when you're, you're watching, I mean, it's fine to watch people your own age on television. Like I said, Brady Bunch was awesome. Parts Trent was awesome too. But the classic comedies were done by older folks, and they were fucking great. And the Mary Tyler Moore Show was obviously a staple, obviously a staple, and you get. You know, once-in-a-lifetime deal, even if you're that hot, so rare to be able to be in two uberly successful television series. Uberly. Yes, I used Uber. Uh, you know, with Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore. I mean, that's insane. That that really doesn't happen to many people. It didn't even happen to Dick Van Dyke. As we talked about last week, I mean, the, the new Dick Van Dyke show just wasn't successful. Um Diagnosis murder was successful, and none of us care about it, but I'm saying it's very rare to get a second chance. There's lots of people that do, but it's a rarity. I mean, Tom Selleck has gotten lucky, thing, but he's a man. I'm trying to think of women. Uh, Betty White, I guess, but that stems from Mary Tyler Moore, and she wasn't the star. B. Arthur is an excellent example, actually, because you have Maud 
and uh, the Golden Girls. But I don't think Maud was an uber success like Golden Girls really was. Uh, Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore were really uber success. I mean, and then she was supporting and then played that, um, you know, the lead. I got to think of another example. Uh, Somebody, a woman, a woman that could pull that off. Because you know how, you know, even me talking about how short the lifespans in in hot-wise go uh, for women in this business. And everybody knows it. So, you know, as sexist as it sounds, we all know how it works. Uh, you know, when you have somebody like Jack Nicholson who can, you know, just keep on acting until he's 100, and then you have somebody like Helen Hunt who's never heard from again because she got too old. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And then you have somebody like a Meryl Streep who um, worked it out, who became, I mean, just, I don't think, skipped a beat. I guess mostly because she was never, like, the hot one, even though she was very sexy, like in Manhattan and stuff. She was never, she never really played the hot girl. And I think that is usually the problem. If you play the hot girl, it's very difficult to sustain once you get a little older. But that all being said, um, I'm just trying to think, you know, it's funny, like Suzanne Summers actually had two successful shows. Not uberly successful, but she certainly made some money. I was at Three's Company. Then she did that stupid, what was it, Step by the Day by Day? I can't remember. One of those Friday night, hopped on the TJI Friday lineup and made a fortune, you know, let alone her thigh master and all that stuff. Um, but I'll think of somebody. But Betty White is actually a pretty good example, but, you know, B. Arthur was technically the star. Uh, interesting, though. Like, a, you, know, you know who actually, uh, it wasn't, uber success but uh, Bob Denver did it uh, with I guess Dobie Gillis was very very popular back in the day I'm before my time and then Gilligan's Island we know how that went although it was not an uber success well actually it was it was a rating success and then it just became ridiculous in syndication as we know but um, yeah like I said it's just very rare so this woman who's obviously very smart in some way she you know, her second marriage, which was to the guy who was producing, the, you know, it was her, MTM, Mary Tullamore Productions, Grant Tinker. Uh, MTM produced that, produced Bob Newhart, Rhoda, Lou Grant, Hill Street Blues. I mean, that's a pretty good. Again, if you in a lifetime get two successful shows even produced, y- you win. You know what I mean? Henry Winkler, who obviously made a fortune as the Fonz, you hope. I mean, you really hope. You, you hope when somebody seems like a polite enough person and not a complete douchebag like a Shelley Long or something like that. Um, you know, you hope back then they, they made a lot of money to keep enough. But uh, if you didn't or did not know, he also produced MacGyver, which was a ridiculous success, uh, which lasted about the same amount of time as Happy Days. And he was the producer, which means he was raking in the cash, let alone the MacGyver they have on now. I think there's a MacGyver movie. So he's got to get a piece of all that action. And that's, you know, lightning strikes twice if you get that lucky. But Mary Tyler Moore, like Lucy, uh, Lucille Ball, even though it was technically uh, Desi Arnaz who was the genius behind it. I mean, look at this Lucille Ball. Uh, well, there's a good example, too, technically. But those shows were horrible. You know, I mean, I Love Lucy was great. And then Here's Lucy and the Lucy. I mean, they were all just horrid. But they were very rating successful because it's true. People loved Lucy 
but Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke, I mean, these two shows were written well. The characters were amazing. These are two really unbelievable shows with one central character that, you know, made them both successful. And somebody like a Mary Tyler Moore who really, you know, just, you know, cared, wasn't that great, but in these shows, you know, I mean, we never got to see, I mean, she did get to do Ordinary People and was nominated and stuff, but, you know, plus, you know, later on, when she, I, I think her hair choice completely didn't help. I'm hoping that she fired whoever was in charge of her hairstyle choices in the 70s at the end of Mary Tyler Moore, even in Ordinary People. God, they stink. Boy, you want to age a bit faster, make your hair look like somebody's mom. Even when you're supposed to be single at 35 or 36, I mean, Jesus Christ, a 37-year-old girl can still be way hot, and she looked horrible. That hair, I remember there's a couple episodes like when she you know, was kissing Lou Grant. I'm like, oh, my God, it's like making out with my mom. She's 37, and even though when I was younger, I'm like, God, she's so old because she's 37 because I was like you know, seven or nine. Um, I still watch it now, even when I was 37, and now that I'm older, she still looks bad and old. And I don't like that. And we'll talk about that being old in a second. We've got lots to discuss, lots to discuss. But uh, I'm just ranting a little about Mary Tyler Moore. It's all coming to my head. I really wasn't going to say anything except the fact that she just died hours ago. Um, But really, those two shows, you know, really shaped a lot of the comedians we know. And I'm talking about Artie Lang for sure and Attell and certainly Sarah Silverman. My God, I mean, how could Mary Tyler Moore not be a role model for somebody like Sarah Silverman, who very much uh, has is the exact opposite of Mary Tyler Moore, but has a lot of Mary Tyler Moore like qualities and maybe just a hair color and her look. But um, you know, the Dick Van Dyke show—I mean, she played a completely different character than she did in Mary Tyler Moore, which again is rare. Which Betty White was able to do in Mary Tyler Moore and Golden Girls. And I got to tell you, I mean, I love that. I love that. I love. Especially Betty White. Mary Tyler Moore, not so much. She's always maybe playing Mary Tyler Moore a little bit. But Betty White, I mean, there's a reason people praise the shit out of her. I'm telling you, that's that's really something. That's really being a good actor, you know? Playing that happy homemaker, which she did brilliantly and invented the character herself with always the smile on her face and the big phony, you know, whore, whorish, you know. I mean, how funny is that? I know the guys came up, but but she put life into that character and did it perfectly. And I remember not even being that pretty or anything, but having something to her and then playing the complete opposite. I don't know whether you know, but in Golden Girls, she was supposed to play the Rue McClanahan part, which was the, the whorish you know, one on the Golden Girls, which made a lot of sense that they would say, hey, let's get Betty White to play this character, which would have worked. And she goes, no, 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 let's mix it up. Let me play the goody two-shoes. Um, which is just cool. And the reason I actually like it so much and really, uh, I'm sorry, once again, my cat's playing with the wires, uh, is um, is because that's my favorite thing. When me and my friend Kevin Cash used to do The Odd Couple, which Artie still talks about to this day, how much he enjoyed it, because we love doing it. You know, the the big thing where we decided, when we were talking about it one day at the comedy club and talking about acting and how much I enjoy acting and he enjoyed acting, was we would talk about that we had heard that Art Carney and Walter Matthau would sometimes switch parts to liven things up when they were on Broadway and The Odd Couple. And sometimes you'd get Walter Matthau playing Felix 
and Art Carney playing Oscar. That's what I'd heard. Um, which really, uh, I don't know if Walter Matthau would be, but he's an actor, and that was the thing. And I guarantee the audience loved it. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe you get there, you're like, wait, whoa, 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 what's going on here? But we loved that idea, so that's what we decided to do. And in the first episode, I would always play Oscar, and in the second one, I'd play Felix, and my friend Kevin would, you know, vice versa. And the audience loved it. I mean, it was exciting, and it was really cool, and it was fun to make the challenge. I know I made a better Felix. He was a better Oscar, but I mean, the fun was, you know, the acting and taking a chance and, uh, you know, seeing if the audience went with us and they did. And it was way, way cool. And doing the opening, you know, playing the different parts. It was really great. And look at this, this Betty White. I mean, just saying, no, no, let me play the other part. I mean, it's, it's very cool when somebody takes a risk like that and it completely paid off. And we know now that Betty White is definitely more like her Sue Ann Nivens character. So to play, uh, you know, the naive, non-sexual Rose was uh, really a tour de force of uh, television acting. You know, I don't know if you, you know, you put it up there with the uh, Meryl Streep kind of stuff, but, you know, I'm sure if, uh, you know, if we did Life Over Again, Betty White would probably be a great movie actress. You know, I mean, it's weird, you know, when you... You know, looking at television and movie acting nowadays, it doesn't seem to make a difference. You could make the transition, but back then, it was there was TV and there was movies, and the few people like a Robin Williams or somebody that made it, John Travolta, you know, that was a big, big deal. But uh, but Mary Tyler Moore playing that character, the housewife. Remember, think about, I, I think it might have been her idea to not wear the usual wife clothing and just always in the the baking uniform, you know, the apron. And wearing capri pants, especially that was the sign of the times. I can't imagine Carl Reiner thought of that. You know, it seems like that's what a woman would think of. I remember when I was working on Turbocharge, the uh, Cars movie, the movie, the band, the Cars, and I had to get a costume for the girl playing Paulina Poroskova, Michelle Gracie. And I was shopping. I needed to get her a slip, you know, or something, and. I didn't know how to shop for a girl. I mean, as hilarious as we, you know, want to make it, like, oh, that must have been easy for you. Uh, it was very difficult to shop for a woman. I didn't know. I had to ask advice. And, you know, I was also shopping for another girl uh, for the show, you know, and I found out there's there's a size zero. You know, she was a really tiny, really pretty girl that Kevin Cash got to make out with after um, that thing. And if you ever see the movie, you'll see what he, what he's talking about. But he, he, he goes afterwards, he goes, Thank you so much because he, he has a huge makeout scene with this really, really pretty girl. And uh, I knew I couldn't put myself in it every time. And I think I might have talked about this before, but every time I would write something, every other show, I would have a kissing scene, not a makeout scene, but like a kissing scene. Because if I did it every show, then it's very obvious why I'm even doing the show. <laughs> like Jeff Garland did with uh, Sarah. In uh, someone to eat cheese with, where Jimmy Kimmel was furious. What the hell kind of scene is this? Doesn't progress the plot in any way. Right? <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna write the script so I can make out with her." It's a brilliant move. Brilliant move. Remember that, fellas. Brilliant. The casting couch still works. I know this because of all the girls that, uh, like, kind of Facebook me or, or, or instant message me uh, after they see me in the show, you know, or not see me there. You know, I'm talking about like The Godfather or, or even The Christmas Carol, because um, you know they're like, "Oh, I'd like to talk parts now." I don't think they want to sleep with me in any way, shape, or form. But uh, you can see, uh, as it did happen when I was younger, how it happens is what I'm saying. And it still does because um, everybody wants a part. 
I'm the same way, but I don't. I wouldn't sleep with anybody. I need to get because that would be worse. Because I've tried that. I've tried that. I used to try it with. Um, I tried it with a girl at a temp agency, and um, that backfired completely. And Mike Royce told me it would backfire, but I didn't believe him. And the girl was kind of sexy. She's a little heavy. But I liked her. You know what I'm talking about. And then I tried to be cool, and she, I was getting less work. I don't think I've ever been, you know, very good. Um, you know, I think if a girl likes me, then, you know, I think that's the way it works. You know, unless you're a really good in bed, you know, I think uh, you're good. If a girl likes you, then it's good, or especially if you like the girl. Um, and, you know, if the girl doesn't care and she's just saying, all right, I guess we can have sex, then, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I don't know. I'm very. I'm still strange when it comes to sex. I'm still very uptight about it. Uh, you know, I think it's just something that sticks with you. I think it has something to do with the first time. I've been so shy my whole life, which is weird because, you know, I am shy, but I'm not shy. But when it comes to that, I've always been so shy. And I really wish that was something I could have fought off, you know, in like junior high. And um, that's something I would do if I lived like over. I would try and get rid of the shyness and then in so many ways I guess I wasn't too I I don't know why it was just that you know I mean certainly um, you know if you're taking a a tap or ballet class with a bunch of girls even though I wouldn't put my all into it because I was trying to be cool I mean how shy can you be you know what I'm saying I mean you're you're out there to be ridiculed but I don't know I don't know we are off track but I'm 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 talking because I'm having a good time I got so much to deliver to you today and I have a very bad sore throat but it's not like sore sore it's like the back and I thought um because I had no other symptoms I thought maybe it was strep or something you know I just you know you panic you know being Jewish you can't help yourself and uh but now my nose is starting to run so I think it might be a cold which I'm actually helpful about but happy about but um it's got to be from last week where I just didn't sleep for three days straight and that will always cause me to be sick. Um, I am not, and and again, this didn't even happen. It happened when I was younger. It happens when I'm. I mean, apparently, I just um, I shouldn't be doing that because I get sick every time when I am up all night drinking, especially drinking, especially drinking. If you're up all night drinking, like I was on Tuesday, which I told you last week from the comedy cellar party, get home at five six in the morning. Go to work, you know, get up at eight and then go to work, uh, hungover. Yeah, I mean, it's been, uh, well, it took a couple days. Maybe that wasn't what did it. I don't know. But I feel okay, as you can see my rambling, but my throat is, uh, the back of my throat is sore. It's not stopping me from talking, but it's not making me feel too good. I'm hoping it'll go away. But I don't care, you know, I'm pushing through because I don't want any, I want to have a good time this week. In fact, tonight, oh my God. Tonight, I'm doing the roast of Mike Bichetti, 25 years in comedy. And this pisses me off because only because, I mean, I love Mike and I would, you know, I would do it for him. But we did this already like two, three years ago. We roasted him in Staten Island and me and Artie and Irene again. We did this already. I don't, you know, who wants to get roasted more than once in a lifetime? Uh, Well, Mike, but, you know, I just that's the only reason I want to do it, let alone it's at 1130 at night at the New York Comedy Club, but he asked me to do it. Meanwhile, I haven't seen my name on any list. I wonder if he forgot, but as long as Irene is going to be there 
uh, this girl Alexis, who I like. You know, I'm gonna go, but I just, you know, it's a just a bad day. I don't feel good, and that's the problem. And well, I'm drinking some coffee, even though I know I should be having tea and some honey. But I, God, I hate that. It makes me sick to my stomach. I bought was that chloroseptic today? You know, like sucking candy. Oh, it makes me sick. I don't know why I bought it. It's just my throat was so hurting. You know, you got to take something. But God, I hate that stuff. I hate it. it. Just makes me sick. Tea and honey make me sick. But I was home when I was drinking it, so it doesn't bother me. It just makes me sick to my stomach, just like NyQuil tablets do. But they are so effective. So what are you going to do? But right now I'm having some coffee. It's definitely hard to swallow it. But um, you know how I love having a little bit of coffee. I don't drink the whole thing. A little bit of coffee when I do the podcast perks me up. It's like a treat. And I don't want to take away my treat. I don't want to be sitting here drinking milk and honey or tea and honey because I don't enjoy tea and honey. I like having a treat, which is a little bit of coffee. I usually have one cup a day. I already had one. But on Wednesdays, I have two. Or it would be one and a half. I get the large, but I certainly don't drink all of it. And then I'm basically just drinking it because I'm thirsty when I'm doing the podcast. But I should get water, but I really enjoy drinking the coffee. All right. Great story, right? Boy, what an exciting podcast. So Wednesday night after last we left you, I went to David Tell's birthday dinner at the very subpar, which I told you before, Old Homestead Steakhouse. That's, that place sucks. And like I said, I'm a Wolfgang's guy, um, and I'm right about this. Wolfgang's is better. I was trying not to complain during the meal. It's just that everything is just subpar to Wolfgang's. The steak isn't as good. The sides aren't as good. The shrimp was better, actually, if I can, the shrimp cocktail. And, of course, we ordered like pigs, and it was really expensive. But I don't know whether you heard, maybe already must have told it on his podcast because he actually called the Daily News the next day, which as I don't think I've ever told this on this podcast, but um, on the Comedy Cellar podcast, I had told uh, one of the reasons that uh, Dave and I got into a fight and one of the reasons I he held back my career was because one time in his birthday, he thought I called the New York Post for something that happened with Chappelle, which I never did. But he blamed me, Chappelle blamed me, and things didn't go my way for a long time because of these uh, these idiots. So, oh, crap, my clock stopped. Damn it, this phone is stupid. Uh, anyway, so I just said, uh, listen, you know, I called him. I'm like, listen, I did not call the Daily News. Thank God, already fessed up. Attell saved a lady from choking. We're all sitting there. It, it's me, Russ, Artie, Dave, and our friend Bob Golden. And one other couple. And Dave even like, we asked to be alone. Who the hell are these people? And it's just a couple. They seem okay. They don't care. We know we're going to be loud, and they don't give a shit. And all of a sudden, this woman starts. We're talking to her, and Dave's like, hey, listen, I'm going to send you a bottle or something. Don't worry, because we're going to be loud. And all of a sudden, this woman starts choking. It seems like a joke, maybe at first, but Attell immediately got up ran over, started doing the Heimlich over. He got up so fast that her boyfriend, wherever he was, it was a boyfriend we found out, uh, would just sit there and let it happen. Now, the funny thing is, if you're a boyfriend, what do you do in a situation like that where somebody is so, you know, uh, you know, in your face about, I'm, I'm getting, you know, what word I'm looking for, that is so adamant about getting up and doing it. It looks like they know what they're doing. What if they don't? <laughs> what if they're just like, uh, 
Yeah, let me give it a try. I've never tried it before, but let me give it a try. Uh, he just stood there because it looked like he knew what he was doing, and he does know what he's doing, but it wasn't working. You know, he apparently had done it with his mom, which he said on the Howard Stern show about two months before, so he was ready. And I'm telling you, he was the first, I call him the first responder because that is a fact. And it was just manly that he really jumped to it because I just stood there and I'm like, I really don't know what to do. Hopefully somebody else will help. Uh, maybe that's not manly, but it's probably the right thing to do unless there's really nobody there to let somebody who maybe knows how to do it properly. So then the boyfriend was helping because it wasn't working. And then Artie was standing on the other side. He goes, no, nah, it's out. It's out. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. But in the article that uh, he put in, he goes, yeah, me and Atel helped this lady for choking. But uh, I don't know. I think if I was choking and I saw Artie there, I, that probably would have made me happier. So I'll, uh, I'll say that that's true. But Artie was, I mean, him and Atel were up there and trying. But Artie was just holding his drink and just going, you're good. You're good. Uh, but I guess it came out. Then they, finally somebody from the restaurant came over and said, I'm a, you know, a CPR person and uh, you don't. This is what you do because it was. I guess it wasn't lodged in her throat like we thought. You know, maybe it was somewhere else. This lady seemed to know, and anyway, it worked. And the lady started crying and apologizing. And then later, we felt. First of all, then they stayed and finished their meal, which was so weird. <laughs> I think I would have left, but it, then it turned out that they were both. Um, she was a registered nurse, and he was a vascular surgeon. That's what made it even weirder. How does he not know what to do? But he was like a deer caught in the headlights. Sometimes that happens. But again, you can't blame him. He did it second, but Attell was right in his face, you know, immediately. So it looks like, okay, here's a guy that knows what to do. We, we, you know, that's what I would do if I was a boyfriend. I would, if somebody came over right away and just started doing it, I think I'd let it happen. I'm like, this guy obviously knows what he's doing. But Tell technically did because he did do it to his, to his mother when she was choking on Chinese food and then uh, shit her pants. <laughs> the classic story. So that was exciting. And we weren't going to let it ruin our meal. Uh, and in the Daily News, they called David Tell an American hero. Obviously, Russ and I were not mentioned in the article. Well, let me tell you something. That's not cool. Already could have put a little shout out, even though we just stood there like deers in the headlights. It doesn't matter. It's nice to be mentioned. I mean, it paid for dinner. Could have at least mentioned it. Meanwhile, so as you know, last week, uh, I go to Artie's house on Friday, uh, two Fridays ago. Uh, he, you know, I'm sitting there. He goes downstairs, never comes back. I'm sitting there three hours. You know, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go home. I still don't even know what happened. After I saw him that night, I go, Marty, what happened? He goes, ah, still don't know. We're at the dinner. We're all having a really good time. Artie is so funny. He drives there and just parks right on the street. And this is like a corner where you're not supposed to park. It's like a, there's like a weird curb and fire trucks can't get by and the cars are honking. He just leaves it there. And they're like, aren't you afraid you get towed? Nah, nah, we're good, we're good. We're fine. <laughs> he doesn't give a crap, which is so cool. He's like, yeah, it'll get towed. We'll pay, well, you know, I'll pay it and get it out. No, don't worry about it. Which really is the manliest thing. Um, so then we're eat, we have the appetizers. We're eating. We're having a good time. He goes outside. The steak comes. He never comes back. Nobody knows. I mean, we all got texts from him like, hey, I'm home. I went back to Hoboken. <laughs> he never even had a steak. Um, I mean, a steak came in it, and Artie, and he, and he, and he didn't even want any food. I don't know. He just keeps disappearing. It's always so nice to see him, but um, I'd like to spend some more time with him. 
I don't know. Maybe he's going through stuff. I don't know. I know the Judd Apatow, Pete Holmes tour and him crashing is happening. I'm pretty sure he won't let them down. Um, But he has alluded to uh, being a little uh, nervous about being so busy in uh, texts. So I guess we'll see what happens. It's uh, it's very awkward, Artie. the wonderful Artie Lang, he's he's got he's in this position at this point uh, where we're all excited. I can't wait to see crashing because I can't wait to see Artie because I have heard through the grapevine, through the writers of the show, and through when I was on the set that Artie has been brilliant in the show. And I've also seen some footage where all I said when I saw this particular scene in a pool, not giving anything away, all I said is, "Oh my God." His fans are going to die. This is amazing. If you are a subscriber to the Artie Quitter podcast, this is the greatest thing that could ever happen. It would be if you're listening to Howard Stern all these years and all of a sudden he just starts doing this awesome Curb Your Enthusiasm-like show. It's a dream come true for any Artie fan. But that all being said, I think he might be getting a little nervous that things are going so well for him. You know, he's, he's the George Costanza I mean, listen, I'm the same way on a much lower scale. Uh, I would hope at this age I would not try to sabotage myself when things are going good again. But I can see myself do. I can see myself falling into the same traps again. And um, I guess he's doing the same thing. And we all just have to hope and hope that um, one of us, uh, whether it's a, a Twitter person, whether it's his producer, Dan, whether it's uh, one of his friends, me, Atel, or Russ, says the right thing that's going to keep him on the right track and uh, keep him in the right direction in the sense where he can be himself but still realize how much he's loved and what a great and what a funny person he is and how much we want to see him succeed because it makes all of us happy and how much joy he brings to our lives through his comedy. And we just have to hope for the best because uh, he has a lot of demons, as we know. And we just want to see it all work out because he's that good. And here he is getting, you know, a second chance, maybe a couple of third chances, you know, a really, a really big, nice second chance. Uh, You know, this touring thing will be great. He's doing the podcast. He's invited me to be on a couple of the podcasts when they're touring, which is great. Uh, I don't know whether they can do it because they're far, like San Francisco, L.A., but hopefully New York and Philly, maybe I can work it out. I'd love to do that. I love doing this podcast. I love, you know, when we were driving in the car on the way to the podcast, I was laughing so hard. I'm like, you know, we should probably save some of this for the podcast. He just makes me laugh. You've heard me on the show. You know how funny I think he is. I know you guys do, too. Let's just hope it all works out. Crashing is premiering in like a month from, you know, Sunday, a month from last Sunday or something. So very exciting. Pictures all over town, obviously. New videos. I can see myself in a lot of other scenes. Very exciting for me. Very exciting for Pete Holmes and obviously Judd Apatow's into it. And uh, I just want to be included. You know, I just don't want to be left out. And that's why I'm glad I'm in the show. I just don't want to be left out because being left out stinks. And it reminds me of being in high school. And if... um, If anyone should be getting depressed, it should be me. 
because I'm just hoping it all works out where there's a second season and I could be in it. And and I got to tell you, everybody, I deserve it. I do. I do. Maybe, you know, I haven't worked hard because I've maybe given up. <laughs> but I would. I mean, I work hard at a job that I just do for money until something works out because I don't know what to do anymore. You know, maybe I gave up a little bit, but it's tough. I never wanted to be a stand-up comic, and that's like the way in. So I keep trying to go back and do it, but I'm not very good. And maybe I could be good, but it's something you got to do every night. We talk about this all the time. You want to be a good stand-up, you got to be out there all the time. And there's a lot of crappy stand-up comics. And if you're a crappy one, it just it's the worst. So many girls I see that are just pretty, and they stink. And people put them up because they're pretty and they're just horrible. It makes me mad. Uh, and, and it makes me mad that they like just they love doing stand-up when they're just horrible. Anyway, that night, uh, then we went down the cellar, saw Dave perform. So again, I was out till, uh, well, I got lucky that night. I felt like Dave was like, hey, I'm going to go home. And it was like two. And I'm like, oh, my God, what a lucky break. I'm not going to be out until five. And then I ended up going to that bar that I like next door to the comedy cellar and just I didn't drink the whole night because I drank the night before. So I didn't have anything to drink, but I was just up and I was at the bar just talking to my friend who works there. And it turns out that guy from there's a guy who's the bass player in the Saturday Night Live band. He's a black guy and he's like adorable. And during the opening monologue, he's always laughing at everybody's stuff. And he was there and he's a really nice guy. So I talked to him for like an hour uh, so again, I didn't get home till five in the morning. And then on Thursday, I, um, got together with Ashley who was going to the Knicks game before she went, we had a couple of drinks and then we got high and she rolls blunts, you know, and the, and I just got way too high. And I really believe those three nights in secession like that must've gotten me sick, even though Friday, oh no, Friday, I went out to dinner again, had some friends. I got that Amazon fire stick. And, uh, you know, tinkering around with the little bit if you get my drift. And, uh, you know, now I'm watching, uh, you know, some BBC television and stuff, uh, which I like. But, um, yeah, so I went out just a little bit. And then Saturday I just tried to sleep as long as possible until at 8 o'clock, as I told you yesterday, or last week rather, I was going to see the band, if you remember this song. Way back to 1988, here's some smithereens with a girl like you coming at you. 
Yeah, that's uh, the Smithereens. Smithereens had a bunch of hits. All the songs sound alike, but I didn't care. So did the Ramones, and yet the Ramones were my favorite band. Uh, again, I am an anomaly of sorts. I like the Smithereens, the Ramones, and Annie. <laughs> but I loved these guys, and they were great. And my friend Vera, who slept with the lead singer, Pat D'Annunzio, many years ago before we went out. In fact, on our first date, she brought me to sing Pat, see Pat go solo. And uh, I was thrilled because I love the smithereens, you know, and that's that's when that is acceptable. If you sleep with the uh, leader of a band, a good band, a good successful band, then it's okay to bring your next boyfriend to see them play. I think it depends on who it is. If it's a band that sucks, that's stupid, that just plays the Jersey Shore, then no. But if it's like, you know, a band that I love and, you know, they they were very successful on MTV and they're Jersey Boys. Then yeah, and they played really good songs and songs like this. And uh, maybe you remember. Uh, let's see if I can get it. Maybe you remember this one. This is one of my favorites, actually. They all sound alike, but love many. memory uh, I'll tell you something I think before yeah before I met uh, Vera who took me to the show actually I had a band called cow this is just before I made the move uh, this is just after I got uh, fired or sued from Caroline's I moved to uh, another hometown club which is catch a rising star and before I did in the transition, I uh, formed this band called Cow, K-O-W. And uh, we started, uh, one of the guys, the lead guitarist was this guy, Rick Borgia, and he used to play with a band called Mink DeVille. And uh, they were on Saturday Night Live many years ago. And w- the first song we ever did was this one, was Only a Memory. And I was like, hey, let's start with that one. We started doing covers until we started doing our own songs, which were okay they were certainly different and nobody's ever heard they belong in a different kind of genre i suppose they're half show tune half uh, rock and roll but uh uh but we started with that one and that's when i remember we i was like let's start with that one this is the first one we ever did i thought it was really good only a memory broken bits of you and me i mean the guitar uh, riff is just really cool and uh rick was able to you know uh copy it and we sounded good, and we were. It was a fun band, and but he was like, well, "Let's do our own stuff." But I was. That's how much I was into the Smithereens. I liked them up, uh, a lot, and they had a bunch of hits between, I don't know, what eighty six or eighty eight and ninety four. No, no, actually, the story is. Here's the story, and this is classic. Um, the the. 
okay, the story is right. They had the first album was especially for you in 1986. Then Green Thoughts, which had one of these two songs. Then this uh, album called Eleven in 1989, which was very popular. Which might have had um, this one, which was really great. This, um, I, I, you know, I'm not sure which album this was on, but the next album after Eleven, which was very, and it was supposed to be, uh, you know, Smithereens Eleven, like Ocean's Eleven. The next album they did was called Blow Up in 1991, and maybe that's what this song was. Now they were considered alternative rock, and they were played on, you know, stations like my friend Mike Sauter used to run down in Jersey, WHTG. Stuff like that. They were known as, um, you know, not punk, alternative rock, not really rock and roll. And a week after they released Blow Up in 19, where they released it, I think on September 11th, a week later, Nirvana came out with Nevermind, right? That's the album. And they just gave up (laughs) because they just, they were like, I don't, we don't, where do we fit in? They really, they just gave up. They're like, you know, they didn't sell because Nirvana went crazy and that's grunge started to, you know, just happened instantly. Seattle. In fact, on their next album in 1994, they gave it another track called A Date with the Smithereens. All, every album had a good song on it. Um, they even say, we're sick of Seattle. And that's in 94. <laughs> that's like three years later. So they were just, they just got unlucky. They had like a Dave Juskow, you know, career where, oh, it's happening, it's happening. What what happened? What did I do? What did I do? What went wrong? I don't understand. We were all having a good time. Yeah, Nirvana just changed everything. So bands like that got stuck in the cracks and um, they didn't work it out. Uh, They released this thing in 94. Then they just released another one in 1999 called God Save the Smithereens. They were way done. And then they just... You know, kind of. Then, then in 2007, they did Meet the Smithereens, where they just started doing tribute albums. They did, they did an entire Beatles album, like Meet the Beatles album. They did the entire Meet the Beatles album, um, which you know was fine. I mean, they just because then they didn't care. I guess they made enough money, and they're just like, well, we still enjoy playing, so let's just do shit. And that's the right thing. I mean, in a way, without the successful part, and you know, people coming to see me who would know anything i suppose in a way we've had similar careers they they just do what they want to do at this point because they've given up christmas with the smithereens 2007 they just did two albums 2007 the beatles one christmas they just keep putting albums somebody keeps putting them out and then in 2008 they put on b-sides the beatles 
just a, an album of B, Beatles B-sides. And then in 2009, I mean, really, and you know I love this one, they put out this. You know where to put the cork Hey, you get drunk So sorry I've got you sussed Hey, you smoking mother nature This is a bust Yeah, they just made they redid the the album Tommy by the Who. They just redid it because they don't give a shit. How can you not like this band? They just don't give a shit. They got a great cover. It's like a cartoon cover of Tommy. The, you know the actual album. You know how much I like this one because. That's what I base my Willy Wonka Wonka opera on is is Tommy. I just wanted to redo Tommy, but you know I felt stupid doing. They're actually a legitimate band, so they can. Sounds good enough, right? I mean, and I like when it goes to the end where, yeah. I love that that organ. So awesome. And then I think they did uh, one more album after that of original music, finally called 2011, which was based on their album 11. Very smart. Um, and then they just, you know. Just they and then Pat usually plays by himself, and I've been waiting to go for a long time. He plays in like Asbury Park. He plays where my cousin play, my nephew rather. Remember when he uh, when he did that uh, that song? Sometimes we play that one from uh, Back to the Future. Uh, the was it Night Night Train song? I have it. Um, remember, uh, my my nephew was playing at a bar called the uh, Crossroads. This is the one. This is the one. You know it. It's your cousin, Marvin Berry. Remember that new sound you were looking for? Well, listen to this. So he plays at those kind of places now. And, uh, you know, it was just pretty cool. And he usually plays single, but this was the time they were going to get back together for the first time in a long time. Like the whole original band, because I think one of the members left. And so it was a big night at BB King's, Saturday night. And... Um, Vera had it all set up where she's in touch with Pat and Pat still loves her because Vera's the kind of girl that she's kind of like Sarah, very pretty, very sexy, um, keeps in touch with all her old boyfriends, you know, and uh, 
So Pat loves her. I love her. Pat sets it up. He's like, I got you a ticket. I got a reservation. You, know, you can come late. I got you the best seat in the house. So we get there. You know, hi, I'm having a good time. And uh, this fucking twat, who is the the wife of the drum of the bass player. No, she's the wife of the drummer. And wait, her name is Donna Dykin. Donna Dykin. So this fucking dyke in this twat, who's an ugly, ugly twat, is in our seat. Now she, I mean, she has a seat. But we have better seats in the same table. She's like, yeah, no, I, I invited two other friends, and they're going to sit there. And we're like, uh, no. The manager's like taking He's like, no, that's for these two. And she's like, no, no, you don't understand. This is uh, Dave Davies' bass player. And I start going, listen, don't even start with that. If it was Ray Davies' bass player, maybe. No one gives it. And Vera's like, no, nah, no, nah, don't do that. And I'm like, fine, fine. It's her night. It's her night. I got to relax. Dave Jessica's got to calm down. Because I said, unleash me. I want to fucking let this twat have it. But I got to be respectful. The old Dave Jessica would not have let that go. But I did. I said, if Vera wants me to take care of it, I would. I mean, I hate this lady. This lady's an asshole. And I'm going to tell you why more. So she wouldn't let these two people say, these two people should have said, oh, we're sorry, we came late. And they should have gotten up into Dave Davies. Fuck him. It's not even Dave Davies. Maybe, again, if it was Dave Davies, you're like, ah, it's Dave Davies. Who's Dave Davies? I don't know. He's in the Kinks. He's Ray Davies' brother. He didn't even write any of the songs. Did he write Lola? No. He was in the band. Might have played the riff. Who cares? So the manager's pissed. He's like, this is not supposed to happen. This sucks. And I go, Vera, what do you want to do? She's like, uh, so he's like, he has some seats up in front. I'm like, I don't want to sit in front. Do you want to sit? I mean, I'll sit wherever you want to sit. You know, she's like, I can tell you don't want to sit in front. I see two seats in the back, like on the next level back. I'm like, what about over there? He goes, let me check it out. So we have these two seats right behind that table with some other people. And then they were going to put these tall people right in the middle of us. But fortunately, that guy never came back. So, you know, we had an okay time. We could see people sitting in front. Um, and, you know, I'm pissed, I'm pissed, but we're just going to start drinking and forget about it. We start doing shots, having a good time. Everything's fine. I don't want to ruin her night. She wants to let it go. Whatever she wants. In my head, I'm just thinking, I hate this twat so much. And you know I want to use the C word here, but I don't feel like using it today. Um, so then, so then, Pat Denizio, the lead singer, who, by the way, uh, might have had a stroke Vera goes to me, do you think he had a stroke? And I'm like, oh, maybe, because he just had his arms, I'm like doing it now, you can't see it, at his side, never moved them. And like he went over and somebody would take off his hat and put on his glasses, like he could not move his arms. So he just sat there singing, and he was kind of like doing the Ramones. I kind of liked it. He goes, uh, girl like you. And then they'd play the song, and then he would say, uh, uh, blood and roses. And then they would just play the song. I liked it. And then later he had some banter, but I was like, if that's not going to be the whole night, I'm good with that. Maybe if they're not good at banter. Turns out he's great at banter, and I'll tell you in a second. But he goes, hey, where's Vera? Sh-? I wanted to have Vera on the show tonight, by the way. She couldn't make it today. Uh, she just had a new kid, so she was having trouble. But he goes, where's Vera Sheps? Where's Vera Sheps? And I'm like, uh, you know, in Annie Hall, Alvy Singer, over here. Over here. She's right here. Because I'm like pointing around. I'm like, she's right here. And then now I'm furious because he's pointing. He's expecting her to be 
in the prime seat in the house. And this twat made us move, and I'm trying to get this dyke's attention, and I can use that word because her name is Dyken, uh, to say, look what you did, you fucking twat. You made this girl move. He's giving her a shout-out from the audience. I'm sorry, not just a shout-out. He dedicated his next song to Vera in a romantic fashion. And this twat, who's a big, fat, ugly, disgusting twat, where Vera might be the same age as her but is still hot, had Vera moved to the back. And I didn't see her getting a song dedicated to her, that big fucking... Oh, you know I'm going to use that C-word. I'm trying not to. And he dedicated this song to her. called Spellbound. It's not not a classic song, but, you know, I mean, it meant a lot to her. She was mouthing the words. It was very romantic. I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, that's pretty cool when you're witness to a guy that, you know, uh, slept with a girl many years ago and he's dedicating a song. I mean, you see that in the movies and it was happening live. The people at our table totally got it. They were thrilled. And that fucking twat I mean, I wonder if she even knew what was going on. I don't think she looked back because I think she must have known what an asshole. And, and Vera knows every word. She's, she's mouthing it, so it really is special. Maybe it is their song. And this twat made us move. Donna Dyken. And let me tell you something. She lives right by the Meadowlands. I looked her up. I, her husband seems like an okay guy, but I looked her up. And if you don't think next, and don't think I'm going to forget Next time I go to the Giants game, I'm going to get looped up. They live right by Steve Sislin's Steakhouse. And you know we've always been talking about going there. They live right by Steve Sislin. If this isn't the perfect example for the flaming bag of duty at the door, then I don't know what is. But she's getting it. She's getting the flaming bag of duty at the door. I got the address. She's right by the Meadowlands. It's the perfect thing to do after the tailgate. she'll, She'll never see it coming. It'll be a year from now. You know, unless she were to listen to this podcast, of course, but which I hope she is, but you know, she's not. But I'm just saying, you suck and you deserve the flaming bag of duty. So she's singing the song, and I'm just, I'm burning up because I just want to punch her in the face now, you know? But I'm letting it go because I don't want to ruin Vera's moment. So then, after the song is over, uh, Vera is still obviously really pissed, but she's too kind a person. The Donna Dyken gets up, goes to the bathroom. She goes, oh, she's getting up. I'm going to go to the bathroom, too. I'm like, oh, you are? Oh, great, because I was going to do it. But you, great, that's great. You do something, say something. She came back. She couldn't do it. Didn't say anything. God damn it. I was hoping she was going to say something. I really wanted to say something. And I was waiting until after, and I was going to say something. And what I was going to say, and I told Vera what I was going to say. And let me tell you something. This is perfect. All I was going to say is, yeah, it was exciting. You know, something like it was exciting, like, um, 
Well, he probably didn't ask you because, you know, you got split ends in your hair. And uh, but I can help you fix those because I have this. I sell products that, you know, something that's all I was going to say. Right. Something like that. And that will fuck up a woman's head for the rest of time. I it's small. Vera loved it. It's it's mean, but it's not saying, hey, you dumb twat. You're an asshole. It's putting a thought in her head that's going to last forever where she's going to go home and ask her husband, do you really think I have split ends? This works. Trust me. I've. I've used it before. Uh, I was with my friend Memo and these this bunch of nerds once <laughs> a couple of years ago in Queens. And I said, and I was, I don't know why, I was being a tough guy that had to drink. And I'm like, yeah, listen, if you, you know, I was doing the Demona. If you want to really get a girl's attention, you want to get, I know how to get a girl's, I know how to get under their skin. Well, she will not stop talking about me for years to come. Would you gentlemen like to see? <laughs> they were like all ears, you know, it's like, I was like putting my money where my mouth is. This beautiful girl comes with this model that they all that uh, somebody knew who was the reason why we were there, and she came up and she was. I, I mean, she must have been rude to me. Why I wanted to say it or something, and uh, like she wasn't paying me any attention. So then I mentioned something about you know I could fix your split ends. I know if you tell me your pH balance. That's all he said. Well, she was furious. I don't have split ends. Like, first of all, who the fuck would answer that? What do I? Are you kidding? I don't even have any hair. But she went off. I, you know, I touched a nerve. I sh- and it was great because I told these guys I was going to do it. Then they saw me do it. And, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was funny. But, I mean, I feel bad for that girl. Meanwhile, a month later, Memo told me, he goes, oh, they, that girl was asking about it. She's like, so how you doing? You know, like, oh, do you, you ever see your friend Dave? I mean, how's that jerk off doing? You know, she, she's thinking about me now. We didn't have two words together. She's like, how's your friend Dave? <laughs> Whatever. I uh, I pulled a uh, Costanza <laughs> in my own special way, which I was going to do to Donna Dykin. Whore. And she really is a whore, too. I was looking her up, you know, because I'm, I'm obsessed. Because look what she did. Look what she did. She ruined Vera's moment. That's a really uncool thing to do. Oh, didn't I ta- I called and said I was bringing two other people, asshole. She's probably lying. She met, she worked at the bottom line where the smithereens used to play. She worked for 16 years as the head waitress and then became the industry liaison, you know, like got a promotion, I guess, after 16 years and then married the drummer of the smithereens. Donna Stewart worked at the bottom line. Because so did uh, uh, Pat D'Annunzio there too. So, you know, they were all there. So that whore married a drummer. I mean, the most obvious of all things. It's like one of the waitresses marrying one of the comics. Or in our world, it's getting pregnant by one of the black comics at the cellar. That's what happens with the waitresses there. And if you think that's racist, you'd be mistaken. That's just a fact, ladies and gentlemen. A fact. So, fuck her, Donna Dykin, for ruining our night. I mean, it still didn't ruin our night. We still had a good time. So we go backstage, and this girl doesn't move. I think she knows not to come over because, I don't know, she just didn't move. Uh, we go backstage, big black guy, security, going, can I help you? You know, Vera's like, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm supposed to go back. He wants to see me, which I know he does. And uh, he's like, yeah, you're not on the list. And I'm like, yeah, no, no, she slept with the guy, so it's cool. Like, and the guy's like, you know, he, he doesn't want to play around. And I'm like, no, no, maybe you don't understand. 
she slept with the lead singer, so it's like a rite of pass. The guy's not taking any shit, right? So he's angry at me. But again, I'm in a good mood. I'm totally wasted, having a good time. And then three black girls just go behind the curtain, and I'm like, okay, there's no way they're here to see the smithereens. I just said that to fear, but the black guy goes, no, 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 they work here. They work. Like, he, he felt he had to answer. Like, he heard me say it. Man, I wanted him to hear me say it, but it was so racist, too. Um, but uh, he's like, no, 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 they, they work here. Like, and, and anyway, then we were able to go back. I didn't extend my hand to him to shake his hand because clearly something was wrong. And he was just sitting there, back there like the way Atel does after a poor machine. He was just sitting there going like, yeah, you know, it's like, I don't know, some of the material didn't, uh, I don't know, you know, what'd you think, you know? He was very nice and everything, but just, like, seemed drained and worn out, but at least we didn't run into that girl again. Here's something interesting, though. While we were there and getting hammered and doing shots, drinking big beers, um, I was watching people walk by going to the bathroom. Now, obviously, everybody was our age. You're not going to see a lot of 20-year-olds going to B.B. King to see the smithereens. So everybody's around the same age. or all, Everybody's old. You can see, you know, everybody's old. That's why you can't believe this stuff still happens, you know, where somebody's like taking my seat. It never ends. Um, or watching people go to the bathroom and they're walking slow. and They're really old. And I said to Vera, I said, you know what? I've never felt younger in my whole life. Look at us. Look at you and me. We're pounding beers. We're doing shots. We're energetic. You know, when we go to the bathroom, we actually walk. We have a pep on our step. Look at these idiots. I've never felt so youthful before watching these really old. I mean, we have to be the same age. What the hell happened? I mean, it's a little weird, but it felt good. So then we were having a really good time because, you know, you just think about being young and Donna Dykin's obviously really old and disgusting. So even though I'm sure we're the same age, but I, I wonder if she used to be pretty. If she must have used to be pretty. I mean, you know, the drummer, even even the drummer, like Ringo, you know, they say it in love, actually. Even Ringo got a Bond girl. <laughs> of course, he wasn't the Beatles. It's a little different. I'm sure Stuart Copeland could get a hot girl, but the Smithereens, uh, I don't know. But she's gross now and a horrible, disgusting person. Uh, but we went backstage. We had a good time, and... Uh, and then we left. And then we went to get another drink because you know why? Vera's cool. And we had another good time. Just making fun of that girl. Oh, so um, Pat Denunzio, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Hey, Denunzio, I think Denunzio's the guy uh, who's in Caddyshack. Hey, you know how to make a Red Bull or whatever it is? Uh, I don't know. You know how to make a shoe shine? Huh, funny guy. You know what time you do back in Boys Town? Anyway, he was telling this uh, really funny story of how Kevin Costner called him up when he was making this movie called Bull Durham. And he said, I really want to use only a memory in the soundtrack. And Pat was being, he's like, who the fuck is this Kevin Costner? What is this guy calling me up? And uh, it was really funny the way he told the story, like really funny. And he's like, yeah, all right, you can use it in the movie, but you can't have it in the soundtrack. All right, we'll make a deal. And he's like, fine. Meanwhile, he's like, you know, the soundtrack made, you know, went like triple platinum. It was huge. And they didn't get any money because they only had it in the movie and they didn't make any deals or anything. And he was talking about how Nick Lowe wrote What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding, which I didn't even know that it was Nick Lowe that wrote that song. Um, Jeez, I think, I thought I, uh, do I have that version? 
No. Uh, it, Nick Lowe wrote that song that they used for the bodyguard that somebody else sang, Curtis Jenkins or something like that. And, um, he, you know, he said he, he, he got like a $2 million check in the mailbox. He's like, what, what did I get this for? What did I get this for? Because it was because that the bodyguard soundtrack is one of the greatest that we've talked about on the show. It's one of the greatest selling soundtracks of all time. So all this guy Pat had to do was just keep it, you know, why not let him put it on the soundtrack? I don't know. So he said, you know, he fucked up. And it's just kind of funny because I did feel the parallel to our careers, even though, you know, there's certain so many things that I could have done where, um, you know, I messed up because of pride, which that's when I learned that's one of the seven deadly sins. Uh, another story for another time. Oh, I just remembered that Nick Lowe, Nick Lowe produced all of Elvis Costello's albums or the really good ones, which is why Elvis Costello does, you know, the version we know, What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding. I didn't know that. Um, that's fascinating. Uh, I, I didn't know he was Elvis Costello's producer. That's so cool because, you know, Nick Lowe, I just, you know, we did Cruel to Be Kind. I didn't really know that much about him. Uh, that's pretty That's pretty damn cool. I, I wish I had that version. I was listening to it. It's... Um, there's one version where it's a, he does it when he's older and it's a little slower, but the uh, the other version is pretty true to Elvis's, which it's pretty cool that he let him do it and just kind of gave it away. And it's um, one of Elvis's like on his greatest hits albums, which is odd because Elvis usually writes most of his own songs, so to use somebody else's is quite interesting. Um, just before we go. I uh, want about last week I found out the most interesting thing. Um, as you know, we were uh, talking last week all about this. Once upon a time when things were rotten, not just food but also kings were rotten. Everybody picked the peasants. Things were bad and that ain't good. Then came Robin Hood. So, uh, yeah, we were talking about when things were rotten last week, as you know. Uh, as you know. <laughs> like if, if somebody's listening for the first time, what the hell are they talking about? But just moving on, that song, I was talking about how much, oh, my God, I love this song. I told you I played on the paper route with the Rockford Files and everything. And uh, Steve Torelli, uh, was so nice. He drew that amazing picture. Um, if I, I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Um, and so I, I, for some reason, I found out more information about that song. I, I don't know why. And I was talking about how Mel Brooks wrote Mel Brooks didn't write it. Um, it's actually unbelievable who wrote it. And it's somebody we play on this uh, podcast all the time and, and, and actually played last week. But I'll just open with this one because you're, you're not going to believe it. Um, the guy who wrote When Things Were Rotten wrote this. believe that is that unbelievable of course it's my favorite song it makes so much sense now charles strauss lee adams <laughs> they wrote annie and one we actually played it's so weird 
one we played uh, last week on the show, which was this one. Speak to us, oh beautiful one. Tell us how you make that glorious sound that even now in anticipation of it has reduced me to a snarling, raging, panting jungle beast. You gotta be sincere. How weird is that? We played that last week as a tribute to Dick Gordier, uh, and and then we played When Things Were Rotten with Dick Gordier, and that guy who wrote Dick Gordier singing that song, which had nothing to do with anything, also wrote When Things Were Rotten. What? Now, that's something else. By the way, in the movie, that um, honestly sincere song is so much better. That was the play. Okay, let's get to it. You gotta be sincere. It's not Dick Gaudier, but that's why I didn't play it, but this is such a much better version. It really swings. You gotta be honestly sincere. You know, in the 60s way, like, like an Elvis movie, the way it's supposed to be. What you is true. Same guy wrote when things were rock. What? How's that possible? Write this down, and then I like when the horns come in too. Man, you gotta be sincere. Wait for the horns. Everything I love I those musical like horns. You only hear it in musical. Shows through. Yeah, I look you in the eye. I don't even have to try. It's automatic. Tra- I'm sincere. When I sing about a truth, listen, I really feel that truth. Yeah, when I sing. I gotta say, seriously. What other podcast do you know where you're going to hear stuff from Bye Bye Birdie, Annie, Tommy, (laughs) the smithereens? I mean, this is good stuff. I mean, come on, people. I mean, this is a hell of a podcast with no one here. One other thing about when things were rotten. uh, Again, I don't know. I guess it's just, you know, the song was in my head after we played it. One of the guys who was in the show, when you see the opening on YouTube, he played twin characters, Bertram and Ronaldo. Richard Dimitri was his name, never to be seen again, except in when things were rotten. I was just looking him up for some reason to check. I'm like, what happened to that guy? Turns out he was cast as Mork on Happy Days. You know, that's Mork, Mork and Mindy. Mork was spun off from a Happy Days episode. Uh, you know, a legendary Happy Days episode in the sense that it spawned Mork and Mindy. Um, and he, w- what happened was, after Robin William died, Henry Winkler discussed first meeting Robin, and he said, unlike other guest stars who worked, who started working with the cast of Happy Days on Mondays, they used to, you know, usually they would start working on Mondays, but Robin didn't start working until Wednesday. Um so I guess the way he was saying it is that he didn't need to start working until Wednesday. But the story is because 
this guy, Richard Dimitri's agent, agent's wife, remembered the story. And she said her husband was representing Mel Brooks and Dom DeLuise and this guy, Richard Dimitri. And he, he, um, Three years later, after when things were rotten, it was hard for this guy to get work. And it's funny because then I was watching him. If he was going to be cast as this, you know, Robin Williams type guy, I wanted to see what he was doing. And I could see, you know, that's why he was playing twins. I guess he must have had some interesting thing about him, very Robin Williams-like. Because if you watch a little bit of the, when things were rotten, like I said, it's difficult to watch sometimes. But you watch for this guy and you can see he's playing twins. He plays one evil one and one good one with the Merry Men. Um, you can see there is a little bit of, you know, craziness to him. So he was hard to find work. So this guy got him a big break on Happy Days as the alien Mork. And apparently he started work Monday. And he said, I remember Howard talking to him that night when Richard reported back on the day Howard was upset it hadn't gone well. And the next day, unhappy day, she says, wasn't a happy day for Richard. He was fired. Howard didn't represent him after that incident, and I have no idea what happened to Richard after that. <laughs> I mean, how fucked up is that? Uh, and then he called the producers and found out Richard was immediately replaced as the alien by another unknown comic, Robin Williams. And what she says, which is smart, uh, the moral of the story, undoubtedly, Robin's talent would have emerged anyhow, um, which is so true. Uh, if it wasn't this, uh, he would have been found out anyway. That's, you know, I don't care for Robin Williams, but, I mean, th- there's no doubt about it. I mean, he was really good as Mork, and a, a guy that was that fun and uh, interesting would have found another way to get to where he was going. He was already in, you know, at the comedy clubs. That's the way it works. And again, that's why I say, I don't want to do stand-up comedy. Meanwhile, stand-up comedy gets you to play Mork or it gets you to be in Crashing uh, uh, and stuff like that. Stand-up comedy still gets you stuff. Dick Gaudier was a stand-up comic. And back then they would look at stand-up comics to cast Broadway shows. Andy Griffith was a stand-up comic and got a TV series. And it's amazing how in this day and age, that one thing still is effective. Uh, hosting Saturday Night Live this past Saturday, Aziz Ansari. You may not like him, you may not care for him, but he's a stand-up comic who just hosted Saturday Night Live because he's a stand-up comic. Meanwhile, I don't care for him, mostly because of what he does to people at the cellar, like the way I don't uh, like when Chappelle bumps a lot of people for selfish reasons. Uh, again, uh, Aziz, I don't care because he's never said, like he gives a shit, like he wants to remember where he came from. Uh, that's what Chappelle does. But Aziz, was uh, his monologue was uh, excellent on SNL. Very good. I'd never seen him do stand-up before. I don't really care for him, but he did a very good job. But yeah, uh, I just thought that was completely interesting the academy awards were you know erin andrews by the way just she said she has just gotten over cancer i i i'm, I'm sick of her i don't want to hear about erin Andrews. i don't want to see her on the sidelines with the thing that happened i don't nobody cares about erin andrews nobody cares about what you do I'm, I'm sorry you had cancer. I'm glad you got over it. But just go away. And quite frankly, take away all those girls. And we've talked about this before. 
that have never actually played sports off the sidelines because it's just making me sick. And Aaron Andrews, for some reason, is the worst of the bunch. There's a couple ones that are okay. That Aaron Andrews stinks. Remember I told you there was one on the basketball scene, the college basketball scene, Allie, Allie LaForce, I think her name is, but she used to play college basketball. So, okay. I don't know. That Aaron Andrews really rubs me the wrong way. Why is she around? Why did she get another job after ESPN? Who Like, well, we got to get I mean, she's great. Is she? I was watching her interview people. She stinks. And if you're only getting somebody because they're hot, get somebody hotter. What? No, you didn't. Um, anyway, this guy, uh, La La Land, won all these awards. And this guy, Kyle Smith in the Post, is really smart. He made this very interesting comment. I liked La La Land a lot, but not that much. He's saying Titanic, all about Eve, La La Land. Uh... La La Land got more nominations than Gone with the Wind, Casablanca, The Godfather, Schindler's List, Return of the King, I don't know what that is, and Ben-Hur. I could go on for quite a while because La La Land got more nominations than any film ever except for those two I mentioned up top. Plagued by mediocre songs, a Cupid doll lead performance by Emma Stone, even though I enjoyed it, a flat one by Ryan Gosling, which I'm completely in agreement with, and the nonstop sensation that every idea the film has was better executed in the movies it's imitating. La La Land isn't nearly the best picture of the year, much less one of the all-time greats. Uh, I'm in complete agreement. This year stinks. Best picture, La La Land. Arrival. Arrival was okay. Fences, who cares? They nominated fucking Mel Gibson. They nominated that motherfucker for a director. Can you believe it? And his stupid movie, Hacksaw Ridge, and his stupid actor, Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone's boyfriend, for best actor. How many times I got to say this? You're going to nominate this guy? Is playing an American soldier? And he's going to get up with his stupid British accent and say, thank you so much. Can't even believe it. He's so good playing. No, no. I don't want to Donald Trump this up, but I'm saying I got a problem with that. I got a problem with that. And if you guys all have a problem with nom- we don't nominate enough black people or we, we can't, you know, nobody can dress up to be Asian anymore. You got to use Asian actors. You got to use handicapped actors to play handicap because nobody knows how to act anymore. Then, okay, then let Andrew Garfield be nominated. But you're not saying that. You're all two-faced and you stink. And a, and a British guy playing an American soldier has got to draw the line. We know British people play American people all the time. But for some reason, there's something wrong with a British guy playing an American soldier. I don't know why. That's just the way I feel. So fuck Andrew Garfield, even though he had nothing to do with it. It's not his fault. It's Mel Gibson's fault. Screw him. Screw the Academy. Nominating a Nazi. And, 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 and then congratulations to nominating so many black people, including, very smart, nominating Ruth Nega, which of course sounds like the other word, so then everybody knows. You keep saying Nega, 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 and you're going to keep remembering, oh, they nominated black people this year. Oh, you're welcome. In some of the worst year of all movies ever. Manchester by the Sea, no one cares. Hidden Figures, Hell or High Water. I mean, there's nothing good here. It all stinks, and maybe that's why La La Land has so many nominations, because everything else stinks. God, it just, they, they've ruined everything. Ruth Nega. <laughs> we 
You gotta change your name, dummy. Be better if she was white. Oh God, who's gonna win? I guess they'll give it to a black person because they have to. Is that what they're gonna do? Casey Affleck will probably win, which is fine, but because he was brilliant on Saturday Night Live, so I can let that go. But Andrew Garfield, seriously, right? Am I wrong? Am I crazy? Am I crazy? Maybe. I don't know. Everybody's just so up in arms, and then you have all these British actors playing American people. They're taking our work. They're not citizens here. They're taking our work. No one's talking about it. Meanwhile, I know. They're amazing. (laughs) Their accents are usually flawless. But they are taking our work. Come on. That's why it's very important for me to play a British person. At some point, at somewhere, in some capacity, whether it's in a movie or HBO, somebody's going to have to let me play a British person because I got to give it back. Because they're baiting us. They're saying, go ahead, go ahead, see if you can do it. See if you can pull off the Alan Rickman character. Maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe someone would think you're up to something. This is Alan Rickman. Don't forget to take the pork chop out of the freezer. Uh, Renee Zellweger did it. So has, uh, who's the hot girl that was married to Brad uh, Pitt? Uh, Angelina Jolie. They've done it very successfully. But, you know, that's two. Well, I guess Meryl Streep has probably done it a couple times. Maybe she did it in this day. Is this what she's nominated for? Florence Foster Jenkins? Whatever. She's nominated again. Well, good for her. God, I hope she doesn't win. Am I right? Am I right? Madonna's rally speech at that the Women's March. I'm outraged. I thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. That's what she said. You know they uh, suspended that girl Kate Rich from Saturday Night Live for saying Barron will be this country's first homeschool shooter. I mean, that girl got crap, and she should. That's not cool to say, let alone about a 10-year-old boy who has nothing to do with anything, and then talk about being a shooter. That's You know, they're all... I, I understand protesting. I get it. First of all, I, I don't really understand because... He hasn't even been in office yet. But I can understand if he's really thinking of overturning Roe versus Wade, something like that, or defunding Planned Parenthood, which you know I do have a problem with, um, I understand the protest. But if you're going to talk about blowing up stuff and shooting people, then you're just as bad as, well, he is, uh, according to you. So that ain't cool either. And um, everybody's a mess. But... Let's, again, I just say, come on. Let's see what he does. When he's going to defund Planned Parenthood, when that's going to happen, let's all protest again because that's insane. Uh, And then you have every right. And I know you're trying to do it in a preemptive strike, and I like that, but Madonna, somebody should, I mean, this girl should be, woman should be brought up on charges. That that should be something that, say, if you're going to say, I was thinking about blowing up the White House, she should be in jail. That's the kind of stuff that puts you in jail for at least a couple of days. And she said it into a loudspeaker in Washington, D.C. Right? I think she was in D.C. Um, Shouldn't she be in jail for that? That's not cool. Don't say stuff like that. Protest all you want. The peaceful protest is the way to go. No car bombing and all that kind of stuff that happened during the inauguration. You got to go peaceful. You're supposed to be showing you're better 
than Donald Trump and everything he stands for. But all you're showing us is you're worse, as Jerry Seinfeld would say. You're not as good as Ted Danson. You're worse. And I would hate to think that a few bad apples have ruined the Italian people for everyone. And I would hate. Oh, do you know what else this guy wrote that wrote uh, When Things Were Rotten? And uh, Annie, he wrote this. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Songs that made my hit parade. Hit parade! Guys like me, we had it made. Those, Those were the days. Speaking of the uh, Trump presidency, there it is. <laughs> In a nutshell, there are chicks just right for some kissing. And I mean to kiss me a few. What's up, everybody? Come aboard. Here's life that we're missing. I've got a lot of living to do. All right. Yeah, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Today's podcast is brought by Bigelow Tea. Bigelow Green Tea and other kind of teas when you're really looking to get rid of your sore throat. Bigelow Tea. And by the New York Post. The New York Post, bringing your local news to you every day at your doorstep. This has been the Dave Juskow Podcast. Dave Juskow Podcast is a lovely podcast that the views on this Dave Juskow Podcast are not really shared by Dave Juskow or any... I don't know what I'm saying. I'm making notes as I go along. Today, the Mike Machete Roast. Oh, God. Obviously, we'll talk about that next week. We'll talk about the Super Bowl. I did really well in my gambling last week. Should I read you my picks? Nah. But I did well. I took the Packers, but I was able to cover that. I got all the overs. I had. Uh, I took the Patriots. I didn't fool around. I just took the Patriots. And you know what? I think I'm going to do the Super Bowl. I think I take the Patriots. You know why? Defense wins championships. I want to bet with my heart. I want to bet Atlanta. You know I hate the Patriots, but I don't want to lose. The Broncos won last year because they had a bigger, better defense. Remember the uh, Tampa Bay, Oakland game. Tampa Bay, Oakland had an unbelievable Rich Gannon, the high-flying offense, just like the Falcons. Tampa Bay came in and spanked them. The Seahawks beat the high-flying Peyton Manning Denver Broncos three years ago. I'm going Patriots all the way, even though they suck, but there's nothing I can do. I figure if I bet on the Patriots and they win, I win money, I'm happy. If they lose, I'm happy because I hate them. It's a brilliant plan. Patriots in the over. Obviously, I'm not betting the under. And plenty of other bets to come. That is in two weeks, but I will see you next week on the podcast when uh, I guess I'll try and bring a guest in. It's been two weeks on our own. It's time for a guest. I'll see you next week on the Dave Juskow Podcast. Have a wonderful non-football weekend, everybody. I'll see you next time.